0: Another day, another
2: podcast, another West Ham United defeat. Manuel oh, Pellegrini look, on thin ice. like this Nile, I'm leaving. <laughs> yeah. That's
1: the best intro to a show there's ever been. Manuel Pellegrini on
2: thin ice as Arsenal end their worst run since the 70s with a 3-1 win at the London Stadium on Monday night. We'll chat about the Hammers' struggles and Arsenal's relief On today's show, also with Chelsea and Liverpool in Champions League action tonight, we'll run the rule over both clubs' prospective chances in the final group stage game of this season's competition. This is Football Social Daily from Sports Social, the only Premier League podcast that is seven days a week. So if you're new, hit subscribe and you'll never miss another show again. My name's Niall. Joining me on today's show,
1: we've got Stefan Armstrong. Hello, Stefan. Niall, it's always great to be on the show the day after West Ham play. (laughs) I always enjoy that. It's (laughs) inevitable. And it's also inevitable
2: the day after West Ham play that we get Jim Salverson on the show. Hello, Jim. Hi, Nile, It's always terrible to be on the show the day after West Ham play. (laughs) (laughs) We've got to absolutely cracking start to today's show. You've also got a a theory to indulge us with later on, haven't you, about Pep Guardiola, which I'm interested to
3: hear. I must say, it isn't my theory. But it's a theory I found online. Also. It's not the Illuminati, like, is it? It's,
2: plagiarism. It's about how you found it online as well as is yeah, dangerous waters. It's, it's
3: how City have become beatable this season. And <laughs> I, I can tell you, the other team <laughs> scored more goals. No, no, no. I, I haven't heard this theory repeated anywhere else. I've not heard any of the pundits say it yet. And I think it holds a lot of water. All right. So okay. if you want, okay. like, if you want to impress your mates and go down the pub and go, this is how you beat City over the next couple of weeks. Then I will tell you what, this is this is the theory you need in your armory. I tell you.
2: Okay, let's start with Monday Night Football. Arsenal versus West Ham United. Stefan, you said to me that the first half bored you a little bit. Yeah. I think that was to be expected with the form of these two teams. It was always going to be, you know, a bit of time before one of them broke the deadlock, you felt.
1: Yeah, and when Og is the guy who scores the goal, you know you're not in for an absolute classic. <laughs> I, I watched the first half and I turned off at half time. I was just, I wasn't really watching a game. I found myself a little bit bored. Um, did something there. No offence No offence to West Ham or Arsenal, by the way, but... I mean, Arsenal were absolutely terrible in that first half, which makes
3: it even more frustrating that West Ham failed to beat them. West Ham weren't fantastic, but they did have opportunities that they failed to capitalise on, which has kind of been the story of the season
1: so far. It
3: was said. a real scruffy goal from Og Bonner, if you can even call it Og Bonner's goal, because it
2: seemed to deflect off of yeah. Yeah, every I don't, I don't Arsenal player in the box on the Rice's, way
1: in. Rice's layoff was nicer, mm. just, just for before the cross. That was decent. Rice is a very frustrating player to watch, in my opinion, because
2: you can see the potential there and it's easy to forget, Jim, just how young he, he still is, yeah. Declan Rice. A couple of good moments, like you said, his layoff was good. He had a couple of shots from outside the penalty area, but his defending for Martinelli's goal for Arsenal was awful. It was absolutely terrible. He just didn't track the runner into the box at all. And he was just kind of stood there with his arms out. And it's like, Declan, mate, that's your job. Go and track him. Um, I like the look of Martinelli, but...
1: The timing of his run was brilliant. Yeah, it was. was, He just hung back towards the back of the area. That was quite I didn't think there was too much wrong with the Martinelli goal, to be fair, from a West Ham point of view. He's got 10
2: yards of space around him, Jim. That's that's not
3: not really on, especially at home. I think if you're going to ask questions of any of the goals, you have to ask questions of Masuaku defending Pepe's goal, who just... Masuaku is the a defender who has no ability to defend, which is a real problem. <laughs> <laughs> if that's what you... If Fundamental should, issue. Yeah, if that is your speciality, then it's probably something you need to work on. He's a left midfielder that seems to have found himself at left back, essentially. And he just doesn't get close enough to Pepe for that goal. And Pepe's finish... Is sublime. Reminds me Curly of Mares. Remember
2: Mares used to always, he still does, cut onto his left, and you just know exactly what he's going to so do. A he just, curler.
3: He had so much time and space yeah. to just pick his spot and curl it in, and David Martin could do absolutely nothing about it. That was the goal I really had the problem with. I spoke to someone um, just
2: before we came on the show, and they said they felt sorry for David Martin. Why? Because well, West Ham's defence are ruining these goalkeepers' careers. <laughs> I'm not saying that Roberto was a good keeper. Roberto's is not very good, um, but I guess. The stats last year of Fabianski making the most
3: saves at the start mm. of the season, it was a bit like, all right, fair enough. And you but look at, now it's so glaringly obvious. And you look at the stats last night, three shots on target, three goals for Arsenal, and you'd have to go, well, surely the goalkeeper's got to do better. But then you watch the goals and you go, ah, there's not- he might have done a little bit better for the third goal, but still you wouldn't expect him to keep it out. It is just West Ham are giving attackers too much time and too much space In very dangerous areas, and they're able to pick their spots.
1: Do do you feel like you're in a a relegation scrap with West Ham? I was saying, just before we came into the studio, this
3: reminds me so much of the Avram-Grant season that we got relegated, where we had a decent eleven, and you couldn't quite put your finger on exactly what was wrong with the team. There was... Chances being created, but there just seems to be an ability, an inability to score and just too many goals conceded, which, as you pointed out, Niall, that's what football's about, isn't it? You it's concede exactly, too yeah. many and you concede too many and don't score enough, then you will get relegated. It just has that horrible sense of slow decline and inevit- inevitability. And there seems to be no way for it to be turned around at the moment. There you've, doesn't seem to be any ideas.
2: You've backed Manuel Pellegrini quite recently on this podcast, yeah. Jim, as West Ham manager. I was just are excited you, after we beat Chelsea. Are you still in that camp? Uh, do you think the time is 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 against Manuel Pellegrini? Is the do, death toll about to ring? Look at his face. He's changed his mind. Yeah. Um, The I, only thing that you can change no, I don't is think, the manager, isn't it? Because you've yeah. got the players and they're not playing. That's The only change you can make in a season is to sack the manager. And as good and as noble as Pellegrini is and as good as he's been in the past and what he's won, sometimes you just have to make that change. I would
3: support the sacking of Pellegrini if I could guarantee the next person who was coming in. What about Freddie Youngberg? Would you take him? Oh, yeah, every day. Straight <laughs> from Arsenal. I mean, Rafa Benitez seems like the obvious choice. Now, I don't know whether it's just a reaction to Manuel Pellegrini. Manuel Pellegrini is a man who plays football in a certain way. So he has one system and he has one style and he puts his team out to play that system and that style every time. What I think you need with a team like West Ham, and we saw it with Benitez at Newcastle, is a manager can come in, assess your opposition, Assess your players and come up with a system to beat the team that's in front of you. And I don't think Pellegrini has the, whether it's the ability or the willingness to do that, there's a lot of clamour at the moment for West Ham to play two up front. They want to see Haller and Antonio playing up front at the same time. It seems to be like a universal thing amongst the fans. Personally, I'm not sure West Ham have a strong enough midfield to be able to do that, because I think our midfields are big weakness. But at the same time, what have we got to lose by trying something like Jim, that at the moment? Because all,
1: at the moment, we are not doing enough. All my life, West Ham has been a scrappy, horrible team. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're a bit hard. Well, they're they're this, horrible, right? I know what
2: you're saying. They've got this sort of continental flair yeah. about them now, this elegance, which you've, you've, you've got Pellegrini to in the there.
1: there. You've got quite soft players. It I doesn't think, feel very West Ham. Why can't you like replicate Mark Noble 10 more times? I think
3: we've slowly lost that identity. And there was a time that, West Ham were this slightly aggressive big Mm. lumps of players that would get up with their elbows up nice and high to get the opposition in the nose and all that kind of thing and that has slowly ebbed away and it's ebbed away with our desire to play European football where we have bought these flair players these people like Felipe Anderson who have come into the team and they don't offer the same thing and I think that's in line with the aspirations of the club and the aspiration of the fans (laughs) but unfortunately it's just not Quite come together this and season And it's coincided with a move to the London
2: Stadium, a change in branding. Everything has sort of switched for West Soft Ham, might like you say. Yeah. G- Jim,
1: I, I miss Carlton Cole. I miss him. <laughs> I think
2: you're the only one. <laughs> come I back for a third. <laughs> I'd take
3: him at the moment. The big problems at West Ham are, and we've talked about the goalkeeper at length, that is an issue, but there's nothing we can do about that. The midfield is very low on quality, with the exception of Declan Rice. You look at the starting midfield last night. Hey, Felipe Anderfield, Irish
1: player of the year, Declan Rice.
3: He's a great he's a good player and he and I think he's let down by the teams around him. As you say, Niall, he looks weak at times defensively. I think mm-hmm. he has a lot to do in that midfield. Mark Noble is Mr. West Ham. Brilliant, have him in there, and he does seem to drive the team forward, but he's low on quality. Robert yeah. Snodgrass was one of our best players in midfield last night. What's that say about your team? Felipe mm-hmm. Anderson is desperately out of form this season and Pablo Fornells is really struggling as well. So they yeah. they need to strengthen and they I mean Pellegrini's saying he's not worried about relegation. Everyone else is worried about relegation and hopefully the board are worried about relegation and they will invest in January. Whether it's Pellegrini or whether it's someone else, they need to bring in more personnel.
2: Well, supposedly West are in talks over Manuel Pellegrini's future, that's according to Sky Sports this morning. You mentioned Carlton Cole there, Stefan, which has reminded me. Over Christmas here on Football Social Daily, we'll be doing uh, a couple of special podcasts to keep you entertained over the festive period. One of which will be the worst team of the decade. Now we've heard many people's best Ooh. team and best players of the last ten years, 2010 to the end of 2019. We want to know some of the worst. If you've got any nominations, Can't put sorry, Carlton Cole in that list. I know, it's the worst. I know. It's <laughs> a bit unfair. I was, apologies if you. Yeah,
1: I, I thought that was a great it link. It just, re- just reminded
2: me. <laughs> it just reminded me a little bit. I'm, I'm sorry, Carlton and you're better than anyone gave you credit for. Usually
1: when we do this type of feature on this show, a manager gets sacked. So that's not good news for Pellegrini. I, I
3: don't think he'll get sacked, for the record. I think he sh- potentially should be sacked. He won't be sacked. There is £7 million in compensation that he has to be paid in his mm. contract. That's one element that will stop Golden. Golden Sullivan do not sack managers. They let their contracts run out. So yeah. they will not sack him because of that fee that's involved. Mm. And then if you want to go after Benitez, that's another eight, nine million pound that we'd have to pay the Chinese club that he's at. So, I'm saying now thus guaranteeing him being sacked by the end of the day he will not be (laughs) sacked
2: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, but if you do have any nominations for worst players of the decade Manuel Pellegrini obviously won't be the manager of the team we're talking about I'm not talking about West Ham he might still be there of course send us a tweet at the sports social on Twitter and get involved it's pinned to the top of our page so we'd love to hear some of your nominations some absolute crackers already so go and check that out and add your two cents worth right what about Arsenal then Freddie Jumberg has ended the Arsenal hoodoo the worst run for four. Forty-two years has come to a close. Is it temporary, though, Stefan? Do you think Arsenal will continue to find problems as the
1: Christmas fixtures stack up? Yeah, I can't, I can't see them beating any seriously good teams. No offense to West Ham. Um, they, they've got some bright bright sparks. I like Martinelli, as you said. I think I think he took his goal well last night. I think he started well at Arsenal. He's the only one that did any
2: running against Brighton. Like he was the only mm. one that looked interested. Interested, which is just
1: speaks volumes about Arsenal. I, I think they will be. Happily mid table, to be honest, with you. I, I don't. I think. I think we'll win, win some over Christmas or lose some over Christmas, but they won't have any consistency. I mean, we've shown seen the consistency of them losing games. I don't think they'll have any consistent a consistent winning streak. Um, yeah, it doesn't really look good from, does it? And Freddie Youngberg as well. I think he's had the worst job interview ever. I think I don't think he's really started very well and. No, nothing's really changed under him, has it? So I don't think he'll get the job. I think you're
3: spot on. I think in no way should Arsenal fans think this is a sign of a corner being turned or any kind of change in form because...
2: They beat a bad West Ham team. And
3: they were bad. They were bad in the first half. They weren't much better in the second half. On 60 minutes, something suddenly switched on and Martinelli's goal proved a spark for them and they kind of looked dangerous. But I think it was more to do with West Ham losing confidence and just being completely shaken by conceding that goal, which we see quite often when a team's at the bottom of the table and they're protecting a 1-0 win and they concede that goal and it suddenly all falls down around their ears. But mm. nothing nothing has changed. Arsenal, you're I, spot on. They just need centre-backs. That's the first thing. Which is quite
2: alarming, de- considering they signed David Luiz in the summer to try and fill that problem.
3: Desperately short of quality in midfield, again, as mm. well. Like You saw Zaka giving away the ball
1: several times last night. Just passes into nowhere but the one real light is obamiang because what since, since since he's signed for arsenal he's been the league top scorer yeah he's brilliant so he's brilliant and he's bailed arsenal out so many times and uh, he's also bailed
2: me out in fantasy football so many times as well so i'm going to keep the captain's armband <laughs> on him for the time being we're going to take a quick break here on football social daily but afterwards we'll be talking about liverpool and chelsea they have champions league exploits this evening and we'll also be talking about jim's interesting Manchester City <laughs> Pep Guardiola theory. I'm more excited to hear that, I think, if I'm, if I'm honest with you. This is Football Social Daily. Don't go
0: anywhere. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Premier League updates.
2: Welcome back to Football Social Daily from the Sports Social. This is the only daily Premier League podcast you can find seven days a week. There'll be news and opinion from the best league in the world, of course, the Premier League. And two of our Premier League teams are in action tonight as Liverpool take on Red Bull Salzburg and Chelsea take on Lille. So, Jim, Stefan, we're going to take a look at the Champions League games tonight. We'll start with Liverpool's game against Red Bull Salzburg. Liverpool are pretty much sorted in the Champions League, we know that. So I wanted to ask you about Salzburg. What a good fist of it they've made in the Champions League this season. Mainly the baby-faced assassin, the new Norwegian baby-faced assassin, (laughs) Erling, Erling Haaland. The young lad who just seems to score goal after goal after goal. And this is an interesting clash between these two teams because Liverpool, along with United and Manchester
1: City, have all been linked with signing the youngster and he looks a good player. He looks great. Am I right in saying that this morning um, or last night in a press conference, he said that the Salzburg are going to score three goals and he's going to get a hat-trick? Did he? If, if that's true, then what a guy. And I, and I sincerely hope he does it. He's got a slight element of the Ibrahimoviches about him, hasn't he? there's
2: yeah, some something Viking about him. He's just does, a bit psycho, is he? Isn't does he? have a, a pinch of arrogance about him at such a young age, which is either admirable or yeah. a little bit... Oh, shut up, mate. Do you know uh, what I mean? But, it's, it's kind of, it, for whatever reason, I don't know whether it's the way he looks and the way he plays, he, he, he looks like... A baby that he just looks like a massive baby <laughs> that's never actually grown he out as a baby. I've he's back, he's, 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 he's backing
1: it. it up though, but not only in his in his domestic league, which probably isn't the strongest, mm. but in the Champions League. That's quite difficult to do. Is, is he scored in every single group game or something?
3: He's flying. It's more hat tricks than any other teenager in the Champions League or some insane stat like that, which is something I think I've
1: partly made it's, up,
3: but it's a pretty decent record he's got.
1: He's a bit of a headache that Liverpool don't really need tonight. That's what tonight's game's all about. It didn't really have to come to this for Liverpool, and they've got got to get a draw.
2: Yeah, in the last group game, they didn't get the result they wanted, and that's left it, you know, a a competitive game again, when it would have been a dead rubber. Um, I still see Liverpool winning this game. What's what's, Yeah, I know, but I still (laughs) see them winning this game. But the, the incredible statistic about Liverpool is, in the Premier League this season, only two players haven't scored. So with Naby Keita's goal at the weekend against Bournemouth, That means just Gomez and Lovren are the only two that haven't scored in the Premier League this season. And Lovren has scored in the Champions League. So really, pretty much all of Liverpool's outfield players have contributed goals, which is massive.
3: It'll be interesting to see how Jurgen Klopp approaches this in terms of personnel. Because clearly, if you look at the last two games, they've had eyes on this insanity of December fixtures <laughs> that they've got coming up. And against Everton, it was a much-changed side, and a lot of people questioned Jurgen Klopp's decisions in playing them, that side against Everton. Mane was rested against Bournemouth as well. So, I mean, it is a really important game, but where is Jurgen Klopp going to take his risks over the next few weeks? He can't play his full 11 every single game. He needs to rest players at some point. Does he look at the Premier League and go, well, I've got this 12-point cushion... I'm going to take some risks there. and I'm going to play a slight B-string team. And let's not forget, Liverpool have amazing strength and depth. Origi, Shaqiri. It's not bad. It's not bad options, is it? it? Or does he go Champions League? We won it last year. It's against a team in Red Bull Salzburg that they should be. That's where we take our chances. Yeah,
2: interesting. And just going back to uh, Erling Haaland, I've got his stats up here. 28 goals in 21 games this season, including eight in the Champions League in five group stage games. A goal every 50 minutes on average this season, which is one point oh, four great, goals a How game. That? But do you know the best thing about him? He was born in Leeds. That's the What's best he? Thing about him. Yeah, of course he was. His, his dad matching obviously. on together. <laughs> we'll have less of that on the podcast get him in the very England much. Team. Um What about Chelsea then? They take on Lille. And in this group, there are so many permutations. So I'm not going to read them all. Basically, same situation as Liverpool. Chelsea have to beat Lille to give themselves the best chance of going through. If they win, they're through, Bar in a ridiculous configuration of results and occurrences. So basically, Chelsea need to beat Lille. They're at Sanford Bridge. They're at home. They've lost three out of the last four games, Jim. So they need to pick something up. And Frank Lampard said he's been delivering his young players some home truths, which I thought was interesting.
3: I think if you offered Chelsea fans this scenario at the very start of the Champions League campaign, because expectations were pretty low when Lampard took charge, I yeah. think they'd take it. A home win against Lille last game to get you through to the last 16 would be pretty decent for Chelsea. I think they take it at this stage. The worry they've got, as you say, they are in slightly poor form at the moment. But I think this is a real test for that young Chelsea team because it's easy to win when you're winning, if you get what I'm saying. If you've got got that confidence. Win when you're winning. You know what I mean, though, right? Yeah, so if you're you're up and you're on form and you've got confidence. Yeah, when they've got momentum. Yeah, exactly. That's easy. It's when your back is against the wall that the character of players is really tested. And these Chelsea youngsters, particularly with this January transfer ban being lifted now, so Chelsea can delve into that market in January. They need to prove that they have the kahonas <laughs> to do it for Chelsea. I think. I, I think they've got it. Frank's young guns. They've got it. Frank's young guns. Uh, talking to Chelsea,
2: it's just come out today that Roman Abramovich has rejected an offer to buy Chelsea from the owner of the LA Dodgers. The uh, hmm. LA Dodgers are they baseball?
1: I think baseball. Baseball. Baseball.
2: Um, Todd Burley is the name. Burley Todd. We don't need another Todd in the
1: Premier League. We don't need another
2: Todd. Todd Cantwell's (laughs) enough for everyone. Um, But yeah, apparently Roman Abramovich wants $3 billion to sell Chelsea. So, I mean, just goes to show he's still very much interested, despite not attending a game at Stamford Bridge for like two years now.
3: Well, there's more value in Roman Abramovich owning Chelsea for Roman Abramovich than just the financials that the club make there are certain political advantages yeah. to him being involved in English football as well which we won't go into now
0: No, but I won't. don't think
3: he's going to walk away anytime soon <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think we will go into that for obvious reasons instead well, so. he's a little bit of pop trivia go, yeah, on. go on hit me so it, it can't be better than Haaland being born in Leeds uh, surely I think it, if Lam- think it is if Lampard gets through to the last 16 of the Champions League having managed every single group stage game for his team who was the last English manager to do that previous to Lampard Frank Lampard. Yes, yeah, so he was the last English man. So Lampard.
2: No, I said Frank Lampard. I meant his uncle, <laughs> Harry Redknapp. <laughs> Sorry. It was Harry Redknapp. Yes. 2010,
3: 2011 with Spurs. Yeah. Last English man.
2: What a Christmas
1: it? dinner that's going to be.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's talk about Jim's Manchester City slash Pep Guardiola theory. Me and Stefan are rubbing our hands together with uh, eager anticipation. Right. So go on, Jim. I'm sitting down for this. We'll let, okay. we'll let you off the chain. Go on, give us your Manchester City theory.
3: So this is not my theory in any way. I've got to point that out. I got this off a forum that was chatting <laughs> so about. So w- what?
1: What your sources? <laughs> A forum. <laughs> he doesn't be, want to. He doesn't might, want
3: to admit it. Might plagiarism. have read it, I can't even remember. Oh, no. But I le- read the theory and I thought that's interesting. Went back and looked at a couple of the highlights and I'm like, ah, oh, there's maybe something in this. There's maybe a little bit of a point as to how teams are getting results against City this season. So the headline of this post was City have been sussed. This is pub ammo. So you're talking to your mates down the pub and you want to sound intelligent about football. I think this is a great shout.
2: All the Liverpool fans listening have turned their headphones up just so they can give it some next time they're down the boozer.
3: So I was using as an example how Solskjaer and Bruce both. Masterminded quotation marks <laughs> wins against City. And the idea is if you play two up front instead of the traditional one up front and you park them on City's fullbacks, it means the fullbacks are pinned back, as is the whole back four, which means instead of the five man midfield that City often have as their fullbacks push forward, you end up with a three man midfield. So the two strikers really
2: wide, yeah, marking the fullbacks. And I love how you said. The traditional one up front, which is a complete
1: sea change from what we used yeah, to say. In the traditional Usually the four two up front. four
3: two, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And you think of you think of the two up front as being a bit of a throwback. But if it's, it's good enough for Alf Ramsey,
1: work. it's good enough for me.
3: <laughs> so when the City move breaks down, when their attacking moves break down, and they do still pose a threat, you need to be quick, play through the City press upfield onto the midfield. In the midfield, you've got the likes of Kevin De Bruyne and David Silva, who as fantastic a footballers as they are. Like to go forward. Aren't particularly blessed defensively. Suddenly, you're on that holding midfielder and a back four, which is very static and very flat because it's been pinned in by the front two. You get it to your front men, support with the midfield. They move on quickly. You get shots off on goal against a not great City defence. Apparently, that is how you beat, beat City <laughs> now. Which sounds obvious. easy. Yeah. I mean, it relies on you having good relief up front and two strong strikers you can play, it also relies on you having a
1: rapid midfield that can play on the break, which both... Could it could it not have more to do with Rodri's out of form, uh, the severely missing a centre-back, which they didn't sign in the summer, especially after Laporte got injured, and unlike Liverpool, City aren't scoring goals from all over the park? Yes, that's to
3: do with why they're not competing at the same level, but if you went, even with the players they've got in the form they're in, they'll still beat most teams. Yeah, should City beat Newcastle? Yes. Should City beat Manchester United? Yes. But the suggestion is that this is they've been found out a little bit, and I think we've said our oh, Pep Guardiola's been found out every season for the last four seasons at yeah. some point. But if, I was I was just watching the highlights, and I think there's something <laughs> Do you in know this what? for football. If you can pin those fullbacks back for City, and they don't get those five men in midfield, and you can match a man for man, I think that's a sound way to at least have a chance against one of the best teams still in Europe.
2: Would it make a difference what type of strikers you've got? For instance, I couldn't imagine, you mentioned Newcastle, I I can imagine Joel Inton playing sort of out wide because he's a bit more nimble and a bit younger than Andy Carroll, for example. Yeah. I couldn't imagine Andy Carroll standing out on the left wing marking, I don't know, who, whoever the city right back would be on the day, Kyle Walker or whatever. I couldn't just ever imagine that being a thing. So do, do you think it depends on the on the usefulness of the strikers that you've got in that in Yeah, that I guess
3: you need players to be able to push out wide as you say like and Newcastle would have been able to do that with Maximum and Joe Linton and Manchester United would have been able to do that with Martial and Rashford they you need that kind of quick nimble player that could get the ball down and play mm. it back into the midfield but there you go there's your blueprint I, I like
1: <laughs> I like it Jim it shows it shows a an interesting philosophy um I don't know enough I'm, about football to know whether it's true or not I'm, but it sounds good I'm quite happy to see kind of the beginning of the end of the Guardiola possession football revolution. I'm quite happy to see that sort of like slowly petering out. Mm. And maybe with Man City losing a bit of form and probably not going to win the league this year, that's kind of coming to an end. It's An end-to-end football is returning. Interesting test of Pep Guardiola, if he truly is, and he truly
3: is, there's no argument he is one of the greatest managers in our time, how he adapts. If, if that is people slowly starting to work it out, What's his next evolution of his system? I said it on yesterday's show,
2: I think there's no arguments from Pep and there shouldn't be when
3: he leaves the Premier
2: League that the Premier League is the hardest league he's ever managed in. I don't think there's any arguments with that. And you get all of these memes on social media, don't you? The funny ones saying, don't tell me Pep Guardiola hasn't had an impact on English football. And people say that jokingly, but as someone who sort of watches a lot of the EFL, League One and League Two, you do see football fans in the lower leagues who support less fortunate teams than Manchester City clamouring for managerial changes screaming and shouting and stamping their feet about a style of play a lot more than you would have done Five years ago, even. Yeah, yeah. So you do see that. You do see that sort of call for change a lot more when teams aren't playing the football that they want to see on, you know, the football that they see on the TV every week. Uh, it does filter down to the lower leagues. You'd be surprised. Anyway, let's move on to the final bit of the podcast. We're going to talk about some of the gossip bits that are in the newspapers today and online, of course. As Jim knows, that's where he gets most of his information, by the sounds of it. Um, 90 Min suggests that Manchester United retain their long-standing interest in signing Spurs midfielder Christian Eriksen in January, but face competition for the Denmark player. Can you see Eriksen leaving Spurs in January now that Jose's come in, Stefan? Is that a possibility, do you think?
1: Yeah, it doesn't seem like any reparations have been made between Eriksen and the club and with Jose coming in as a mediator. Um, yeah, I can, it makes sense to offload him and get something for him. Uh, I don't know if Tottenham really want to sell to one of their main competitors, Um probably more likely to go to Spain. But who knows? It'd be, it'd be a great signing for Manu.
2: Yeah, it would be a good signing. It seems like that's what they've been crying out for, Jim. I know they've got Mata, who... He's,
1: he's six, almost six, like seven a, years a fresher ago. Mata, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. I was going to say, six, he... seven
2: years ago, did a similar job. But Mata, he's kind of... A lot of people saying his legs have gone. He isn't the same instrumental force and figure that he used to be. No. And, and Ericsson still is a quality player. Why would you make player. that move
3: if you're Christian Eriksen, though? Why would you make that move from Spurs to... De Niro. But it seems like the reason he wants to leave Spurs is because he wants to win stuff. Now,
2: now Josie is there though; that might change the mentality at the club.
3: I think. I mean, when you know what it's like when you decide you want to leave a job, it's very difficult to then have your mind turned around, convince yourself again. Yeah, exactly. You've gone. You've come to terms with the idea. You need to move on. You need a fresh challenge. And I'm sure it's absolutely no different with footballers. But I can't see him going to Manchester United. I think, as you said a move to Spain would seem much more likely. Whether they get rid of him in January, that's the kind of balance, isn't it? Do you want the 12 million quid or whatever they get in January for a Mm. 50 million pound player? Or do they want to say, well, he's useful for us for the last four months of the season and we want to keep him and that's worth that 12 million quid? That'd be interesting to see.
2: Speaking of moves to Spain, this isn't the most out there Statement of all time. Barcelona president Josep Bartomeu says the door is always open should Manchester City boss Pep Guardiola wish to return to his former club. And you said that we might be seeing the end of the Pep revolution at Manchester City this season, Stefan. But going back to Barcelona, there's talks about him going back to Catalonia to maybe even take on a, a political role as they fight for independence over there. There's obviously lots of political things going on over there. Could could this be a, a thing, Pep,
1: back to, uh, back to Barca? No, I think it's a... Slow news day story, but to be honest, he's he's achieved everything he you can achieve at Barcelona. Surely there's, PSG. There's you reckon he's no the next one? I think he's done the German league. He's done the Spanish
3: league. He's done the Premier League. I think the French league would be an interesting challenge for him. And can they, I? They have money. He likes a bit of money, both in his pocket and also to spend on transfers. Does Pep Guardiola? I think it makes a lot of sense. Can I counter punch? Because, because I would say Italy. Uh,
2: I would say more likely to be Italy, and the reason I'd say that is because. PSG, their main aim is to win the Champions League. They win the French League every year without fail. Mm. The same with the Juventus, win the Italian League every year without fail. And the Juventus fans really want the Champions League, which is, even though it's kind of contradict to my own point a little bit, I don't think PSG would go for Pep because he hasn't won the Champions League in so long. That's their That's their. What they want, I think that that might be an easy ride for Guardiola, I think in terms I think of events be it' better in terms of bit.
3: footballing style, and this might be a little bit of an outdated opinion, so I ask it as more of a question, but in terms of footballing style, does it feel like Pep Guardiola's football would fit more in Ligue 1 than it would in Syria, which
2: Imagine Pep managing Mbappe—be frightening, wouldn't it?
3: Yeah, and from a Serie A point of view, you're not just going into a league where they play a very solid defensive style of football that is the Italian style, but you're also got to instill the idea that the the high press, the the tactical fouling, the quick breaks, the, whatever it is that Guardiola. It, trains his team to do, you've got to instill that in players that have been playing in a very set way for a very long period that, of time. That might be
1: the fresh challenge, but maybe yeah. do need so, going to go into a league like that. I'd, I think he'd get bored in that French league. I do. I mean... It, it's it's a mundane league to watch, to be honest. I've got a lot of friends in France, and they all watch Premier League. None of them watch League One.
2: But he's a man of fashion, isn't he? Pep Guardiola loves his uh, knitted cardigan with the hood.
1: <laughs> so <laughs> Paris might be perfect for him. Go to Milan for that. Go to go to New York for that. You I'd love. I mean?
2: I'd love to see one of the Milan clubs really build themselves back be, up to where I mean, they used to be. If
1: you look at AC Milan, um, big Chinese investment a couple of years ago. New stadium on the way. New stadium on the way. Um, that could be a mega project that that truly is a sleeping giant isn't it yeah, imagine man. a couple of years time a, a Guardiola going you know, to AC Milan and them just climbing up that league the and iconic winning the shirt league. lifting the oh, Champions League title it, oh it'd be amazing oh. you know what I mean yeah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, AC Milan what a club <laughs> then just
2: before we go any uh, late nominations for yeah Worst Premier League players of the decade because, of course, over Christmas, as I mentioned before, we'll be doing two special podcasts to keep you entertained. One of which will be the worst Premier League team of the last 10 years as this decade draws to a close. So if you've got any nominations, let us know on Twitter at the Social. But now it's time for Stefan and Jim to maybe give a couple of players their, yeah, their due rewards.
1: It's in- um, a former Sunderland centre forward, Josie oh. <laughs> Two Two goals in 70 games.
2: He's been nominated a couple of times. Has you know? he? He's a, he's a very, I think he's a front runner. Uh,
3: he's to up the there, rank. isn't he? He's up there, definitely. Have aren't. we had rookie Van, Van Wolfsfinkel yet? Oh, we from, haven't. from Norwich. From we Norwich haven't. City. he
1: scored like one goal and then never scored again. Two Did goals he? in 55. Scored in, his de- <laughs> scored in his
3: debut against Everton after signing for £8.5 million, pounds, which was a massive fee for Norwich at the time. He scored two goals. Everyone spent a load of money getting his name on the back of their shirt. <laughs> <laughs> to the extent, the name was so long that... Norwich City Club shop had to abbreviate the name to make it cheaper and to make it fit on the shirt. It's not as long as Jan Venegor of Hesselink. Oh, that was a classic, wasn't it? As
2: a Scottish football fan, Stefan, you'll know all about Jan Venegor. Um, What about Vincent Janssen as well? Talking of strikers um, from the continent, the guy at Spurs, never really happened for him, did it, Vincent Janssen? He was pretty rubbish as well.
1: I'm guessing we've all spoken about Falcao in this debate. He has
2: been mentioned. Uh, for his contributions at Chelsea and Manchester United, you would have expected more from
1: him in the Premier League. Yeah, and to to really muck it up at not one club, but two clubs year after year. That's Yeah, he's he was a real pooper, wasn't he? He was shocking. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's some terrible players. Incidentally, Vincent Janssen,
3: I've just looked him up. He's only 25 still. He was a real hot prospect when he went to Spurs. He's currently playing in Monterey. In really, Mexico? in the M- uh, oh, is it, is it MLS, it might. I think, be it, I, th- MLS. I think it's north, like up near Canada. So to put it in the Mexican league would be a bit harsh. But
0: <laughs> no, <laughs> I think, sure. I think sure Monterey are a Mexican
1: team. Are they? Yeah, not as in Monterey Bay. No, um, as a, what do you mean? Like as in Monterey Jack for cheese. It's a Mexican football club. Viva <laughs> la <laughs> And with that, we'll end today's
2: podcast. If you do have any nominations for uh, worst Premier League players of the decade that you think might slide nicely into our worst 11 of the last 10 years, let us know on Twitter, at the Sports Social. This has been Football Social Daily. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast today. We'll be back again tomorrow with another one. So hit subscribe and you'll never miss another episode again. See you later
0: actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary BDW, Void report prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus it's time for today's lucky land horoscope with victoria cash life's gotten mundane so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to lucky land you know what they say